Hey, good morning. It's actually fun to say that. I've said it a bunch in the evenings as a, just a mess up and different things, but it, it's fun to actually say good morning and to, to look out and, and be with you. Just as we just read, we're in Mark chapter one today. So if you have your Bible, uh, please just jump there. I want you to see that it's actually in here and not something that I'm just making up and giving to you. So uh, we want to be people of the word in everything that we do. And it's right here in Mark where we're going to launch and then uh, just kind of anchor everything to today. My name is Chad. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here. And it would just be a joy. It would be a blessing to me to meet you if this is your first time or, or you've just kind of been around a little bit and we haven't had a chance to meet. Uh, but we just want to kind of tell you what we are and what we're trying to do around here. We want to love this city. And most of all, we want to love God. We want to help other people to do those things with us. And so if you're new here, we are glad that you chose to be with us this morning. We, I think there's a, a moment where we all just need to kind of take a deep breath and recognize that we made it. We made it to 2021. We made it to this new year. And it, maybe you had in your head that at the calendar change, everything would be easier and there would be like back to normalcy. We're not quite there, uh, but we actually made it to 21. We're, we're here in this spot. And so what we want to do today is just kind of take a, a moment, take this time to look beyond our goals, to look beyond uh, what might be on your, uh, on your list of resolutions or, or what you're thinking and, and set our sights on something that is maybe far more beautiful than just weight loss or better habits. We want to we step into that and we want to just say, uh, God, we made it through that. You've been faithful every step of the way. And we just want to see what, what you have before us right now. So if you would, would you just pray with me? I want to pray for our time. Uh, I'd ask for you to pray for me and, and that we would just not go through another religious service, but that we'd actually meet with God in this moment. And so just join me in that. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, this group gathered. Thank you for the opportunity, just as Laura led us, in reminding us uh, that people around the world, not everyone has access to the word of God, and not everyone has the freedom to gather to worship you. And so thank you. Help us to not take that for granted. Help us to not just go through the motions and, and be people of religion, but to be people of a relationship a relationship with the risen one. God, help us to, to know you personally, intimately, to know your great love which saves and changes. So I pray that we would be worshipful today, even in this time. So we ask you to meet us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Recently, I was talking to a friend of mine in, in and this is a statistic that we came across just through this conversation as we were looking at some other things. One in three people who call themselves Christians have completely stopped doing anything regarding their faith since COVID began. Think about that for just a second. That's not just attending church. There's all sorts of factors that go into this. But like prayer, reading God's word, 
gathering or, or, or meeting with other people, other believers in that, actually attending worship services, singing songs, uh, all these things. One in three people who uh, call themselves Christians have absolutely stopped doing any of those just in the, the last nine months, 10 months. That's staggering. That should get our attention. That's something that is, is like, like what, something's going on below the surface right here in this that we want to actually stop and think about. And so when we start thinking about this new year and what's before us and all the, the goals and the hopes, the resolutions and the thoughts of what you might want before you this year, right next to getting back to normal, I want you to kind of think about what would be something that is far beyond just like, hey, I want to be skinnier, I want to do this, or I want to do that. Uh, uh, like, actually think about what it looks like to, to not just be someone who claims Christ, but to be someone who, who knows Christ. And that's why we're looking at this passage. That's why we're looking at this particular passage, Jesus calling these men. What, what I tend to get is that it's far too easy for us, myself included, to be familiar with the claims of Jesus and not really to, to know Jesus. It's easy for us to know the stories and kind of like someone on TV where we think we know one of the Ogles or we think we know uh, Oprah or we think we know our favorite TV personalities and stuff. And we might be familiar with them, but we don't actually know them. I I was thinking about this the other day in terms of Anthony Bourdain. Maybe you're familiar with Anthony Bourdain. If you're not, I'll set the table for just a second. And pun intended with set the table. Anthony Bourdain had like the coolest job on the planet. There are very few days in which I think I would really like to be doing something other than I'm doing. But then I'd see like Parts Unknown and Anthony Bourdain, this man who got the job of traveling around the world to all these weird spots, eating great food and sitting with local people and having unbelievable conversations. Like uh, find me a better job than this. And Anthony Bourdain was this like charismatic, charming dude. He's a good, like he's just like a a good conversationalist and everything. And what you find out is that you could watch that. You could see him eating with Obama in Vietnam or with eating street food in Peru, doing all these different things. He'd be like, golly, I feel like I know Anthony Bourdain. But you don't. (laughs) And neither do I. And what I'm concerned about is that far too many of us approach the Bible or approach Jesus in a really similar way in that we, we watch or we know some of the stories and we could recite a couple of the facts, but we're, we're familiar enough with it, but we, we actually don't know Jesus. We're not following after him. So this week, we just want to look at the fishermen, the, these fishermen called by Jesus, and one in particular. We want to look at John. And last week, Jeff led us to look at John the Baptist, and, and John the Baptist has this unique calling, this unique uh, role and calling on his life. John the disciple has a, an altogether normal and unremarkable calling. And yet God does something incredible in and through this man. And so we, we kind of take those in contrast and we want to look right here at it. So uh, jump in with me to this text. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. 
passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately, immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Followed him. Now, a couple things from this text. This is a pretty straightforward, like just scripture text. There's, there's facts, there's things happening. It's really straightforward. There's just several things that we want to draw our attention to. And then we want to kind of look and expand this out to look at John. So here you have these guys, and what you see right here in the text is that Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them right where they were at, right what they were going through, right what they were doing. Jesus saw them. Jesus called them. And then they respond immediately. They respond. There's a response to that. There's an actual physical response to this calling from Jesus. Okay, so with that in mind, who is John? Like, why, why are we talking about John? Peter gets so much attention. Peter gets so much, and rightly so, Peter is at the center of so many of these gospel stories. And it's easy for us to just kind of whack a mole with Peter because he does ridiculous things. And, and, and sometimes he's just so over the top. It's easy for us to kind of beat up on Peter or laugh at Peter or, or highlight Peter in different ways. Andrew and James get a little bit more and they get some aspects told of their story and stuff. But John is right there for everything. And yet he's also kind of out of the main field of view. John who writes the gospel of John. John who uh, we have first, second, and third John. We have revelation out of this, but John doesn't name himself in this. When, when you read John, John actually puts himself off of screen a little bit and, and only refers to himself as this almost other one, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The other, that's why we're in Mark today and not the Gospel of John, because Mark actually names him and says, here's this John who's there. But don't forget, like, John is such a normal dude with ups and downs, struggles. The guy's right there at, at the center of so many of these gospel stories. John's a fisherman. We know that from the text. He, we don't know if he wants to be a fisherman. We don't know if this was his aspirational goal. We don't know what that was, uh, but we know he's a fisherman out there. This might seem really basic, but uh, bear with me. Think about some of this with us. Uh, John's a brother. John's not even named first in the brothers here. They named James. John is with James in this. John's a brother. He's, he has people in, in his life. He has, he has folks around him. And then maybe the most obvious one, but one that we actually need to give some attention to a little bit, is right here in our text is that John is a son. And you know that biologically, but think about this. It actually takes a real particular interest to name Zebedee. 
And why? Because his dad is there. And in our culture, we don't think about that too much. Like in, in Western culture, we, we kind of like, like, whatever, that's my dad or these types of things. But in, in this culture, the, the dad being mentioned, the dad being present, that is a really big thing. His dad is honored. And there's something to it there's, that is dishonoring for John to jump and drop everything and go after Jesus. It's a big moment in his life. Later on, we actually get an account of, of John's mother. And we're, we're told about this, the, the original helicopter mom of all things. We get this story of John's mother who kind of comes alongside Jesus and is like, hey, uh, I'd like for my boys to sit next to you in eternity. Like every great mom, right? Like every mom like wants the best for her kids. And, and she's like, I'd really love for my kids to be uh, right next to you, one on your left, one on your right, in eternity, sitting with you for all time. And you can just see the boys, John and James, like, oh, mom, stop right now. Stop. Please stop, mom. John's a son. And that, that actually matters in all of this. And what we get as we read through and we, we actually see John revealed in scripture is that John's rough around the edges. At least twice John is rebuked by Jesus. At one point, John's upset that someone is casting out demons, but he's not one of their group. And he's like, hey, Jesus, I told that guy where to go. I told that guy where to go. She's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is exactly where it is. There's another time in which John wants to, catch this, John wants to call down fire from heaven on these other people because they don't think just like him. He's like, Jesus, guess what I did today? (laughs) Try to call down fire from heaven. Jesus rebukes him. Jesus points out like, this is not how we're supposed to be walking. And Jesus even gives these two brothers a nickname. He refers to them as sons of thunder, which is, we don't really know why, right? People speculated different things. But just think, these two boys growing up in the house. If you have boys in your home, you can relate to some of this. Like, I often think, I have three daughters, and my house was not built to withstand all three of them, like, doing all sorts of things. Like, we have these two boys, we, we get an idea that there's some rough around the edges spots, and yet Jesus looking at them knows like these guys. He's dealt with their mom. He's had all of this stuff of them trying to call down fire from heaven, and here he is naming them. You are sons of thunder, aren't you? Like We get the impression that, that John is a little rougher on the edges. And as we kind of take all of this as a whole, what we get is we get a picture of a guy who's actually just like us. He's just like us. It's actually important because sometimes we look at these people as superheroes that are, are, are flawless or impervious to temptation. They, they actually uh, are not. They're just like us. Human, flawed, far from perfect Here's this guy in which Jesus saw. He saw far more than just a guy on a boat. He saw the good, the bad, the beginning and the end. He saw this guy, warts and all, and he called him. He's just like us. But the story of John is that he was changed. This relationship, this, this following after Jesus changed him. And when we look at him, we, 
We ultimately come to this guy that if you go to the commentator, the commentators and you read like just the beginning uh, of First John, so to, like if you, you start kind of looking up about these things, they'll, they'll refer to John again and again as not son of thunder, not son of Zebedee, not rough around the edges, but they refer to him as like the apostle of love. This guy who goes from like real calloused hands working the lines on a fishing boat to certainly not an easy life in any way. This guy with a reputation of like pointing fingers at other people to one who is known as the apostle of love. John, who is right there next to Jesus, actually actually wanted his readers to know these things. Here's, he says a couple of things. John was certain that Jesus loved him. John was certain about that. Notice what he says in 1 John chapter 5. He says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. See, John knew this and, and he wants his readers to know it as well that we have this one who, if we ask him anything, he will hear us. He will hear you. Goes on. John wanted his readers, John wanted the readers of his gospel and the readers of his other letters to follow in Jesus's footsteps. The same call that went to John is the same call that goes to you and to I, and to me. It is that call of following after Jesus. First John 3, he says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has, has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love, not, pardon me, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You see, John is telling us something that we need to hear. Like, there's a following after Jesus. It's not just love with our words. Following after Jesus wasn't just in a boat. No, he actually stopped and he jumped out and he ran after Jesus. He wants us to follow him. He encourages us, encourages us to follow in his footsteps. So the question then is like, if this is John, and he's a normal dude, like going through this stuff, like what does that look like? How, what does it look like to actually follow him? And we have some examples from his life, but like what does it look like for us to follow him? What does it look like for us to drop everything and, and to step in after him? Hey, maybe, maybe you need to drop some things in your schedule. Drop your show, drop your social media, drop, drop that, that secret sin that you think that no one knows about. Maybe you need to drop some, some dreams even that don't line up with where God is. 
But maybe we need to take seriously the idea of of dropping something in order to follow after Jesus. See, we're, we're in a week, literally, in which we pick up all sorts of things. Pick, we're picking up new habits. We're picking up new apps to help us with those habits. We're picking up new things in our schedule. We're, we're picking up uh, different things all over the place. But maybe the call this morning is that you need to drop some things to follow Jesus and not just be familiar with Jesus. Let me give you a, a couple of really tangible things. And I don't know what it is that you would need to drop, but I do know some ways in which you can practically jump and follow him. Drop whatever you have to, whatever is is distracting or holding you back. Drop whatever it is and, and immediately pick up this habit of getting in God's word so that we're not just familiar with him, but that we would actually know him intimately. So that we don't just know facts about him like Anthony Bourdain or, or something like that. That we would actually know Jesus. And, and we, we have this tool. Derek mentioned it. We have this tool. Like there's a million Bible reading plans. And, and I encourage you to jump into any of those if they're helpful for you. But what I found is sometimes, sometimes they just feel really overwhelming. It's like read 10 chapters today and then every day for the rest of the year. And, and sometimes that just gets really overwhelming fast. Here's all that we're asking. Read one chapter a day. Read one chapter a day, write down one takeaway from that thing, and then share it with one person. Share it with one person in your life. Read one chapter, write down one thing that you're taking away from that, and then share it with one person. If you do that for the next 90 days with us, you will have read the Gospel of John, Acts, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and James before Easter. I can't think of a habit of following Jesus more beneficial than actually reading his word that is right there for us. If you have to, drop whatever it is, drop whatever it is in your life and immediately jump out to get and develop a habit of prayer. A a, a habit of praying. And and what I found is that it's actually really helpful to have other people with that. So we, we, we pray on Tuesday mornings. We've got people up here. I know there's been a group that's been praying on Saturday mornings, but there are people praying around this city and in this church every single day. If you need help with that, we would love to help you. We would love to help you. But develop a habit of not just showing up at church, but actually praying and talking to this living God who says, follow me. Drop whatever you have to, whatever you have to, and immediately run towards community, towards actually knowing others and being known. In a culture that has this like aberrant form of of friendship, like we actually want to know people and walk with them. And and Christianity and our faith isn't just a solo project. It isn't just uh, myself and God. It's actually where he puts us in a body and connects us with one another. And so if you're going to develop a habit this year and retool your life or, or however we want to phrase that stuff, may I encourage you to drop whatever you need to to follow after Jesus by being in his word, by being in prayer, and by being in community with other people. Those three things, those three things are are really tangible ways of what it looks like to follow after Jesus, to follow him today. But maybe you're here and like, 
You need to, to drop everything. Maybe what, where you need to start is actually dropping the, the facade of control and, and where it looks or you think that you have control of everything in your life and all the surroundings. If 2020 has taught us anything, is that we actually don't have as much control as we think we do. And maybe, maybe dropping your nets and following Jesus is acknowledging your sin and crying out to Jesus as Lord. John wanted, John wanted his readers to understand that. He wanted those who would read his gospel, those who would read his letters, he wanted them to understand that. And notice, I go right back to maybe the most familiar passage in scripture, whether you're a Christian or not, but I hope that we would see it with fresh eyes and, and actually see this, this person that is being described in this, John three sixteen. And hear this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Maybe the, maybe the first step, there's actually no point in being a disciple. There, there's no discipleship if you actually don't know him as Savior. There's no point in walking as a disciple if you don't know him as a Savior. And recognizing that it, it isn't him banging you on the head or, or heaping more onto your back. It's actually this God who loves you and meets you in this place. Well, this this John, this story of John actually affects us daily, right now, right in the here and the now. And we have to kind of be honest that we really have no idea what's in front of us. We really have no idea what the next year is going to hold. We, we were looking back, my wife keeps a journal, and we were looking through some of that. And it's funny to see like expectations for 2020 and then reality of 2020. We have a lot of hopes for 2021, but we don't really know what that's going to look like. We have all sorts of false hopes for 2021. We, we have just false hopes of diet. You can get the, the latest, greatest plan. False hopes for exercise, that that's going to change everything. And listen, those are actually good things. Those are, those are things that we want to, to have in our life in which we're living a healthy life, but they're not good gods. We have a false hope of a vaccine. And, and we want a vaccine, right? We actually want this, but it's not our God, it's not our Savior, and it's not the hope of this world. We have false hopes for politics. We have, we have false hopes for all things around us. And what we really want to do is place our hope in the right things. And the one thing that we can't control is whether we're going to drop those things in our life that hold us back and, and follow after Jesus. John had no idea 
where Jesus was going to lead him. John had no idea where this was all going to take him. He could not have ever imagined what it would look like and where he would go from that boat until the end of his story. He had no idea. And just think about it in terms of the hills that John finds himself on. John's there for the Sermon on the Mount. John's there for the feeding of thousands. John's there at a, at, at a, a mountainside. It says they climb this high mountain into this moment of transfiguration in which he's literally there for the glory of God to shine in and through Jesus. John's there in this small little olive garden on the side hill outside of Jerusalem these quiet moments that are not always beautiful for John. John's there on the hill of Calvary, seeing what's going. John will later on find himself on a hillside uh, of Patmos, not knowing up from down. John could have had no, he, he, he had no idea what this was going to look like to follow after Jesus but he had everything he needed to walk in faith. John, who later on would be numbered with Abraham and Moses and David, whose name is there as author of so much of the New Testament, John, this super ordinary guy, just like you and I, who God worked in his life because he dropped everything to follow after Jesus. going to be big ups and downs as you read the story of John. There are big ups and downs for all these disciples. There, there are, are good moments and bad moments, and there are for you and I as well. And maybe, maybe you've heard this entire thing, and we've walked through all this text, and you're still thinking, like, that call isn't for me. Like, I couldn't do what he did. Maybe you hear that voice in your head telling you that God couldn't love you or God couldn't work in your life and God couldn't do any of this. But like, here's the reminder, like Jesus isn't calling watchers. He's not asking you to watch uh, him like he's Anthony Bourdain. He's not asking you for 30 minutes of your time and and just to smile and acknowledge it. He's not asking and saying, hey, watch and be entertained by all of this. He's saying, follow and be a part of what I'm doing in this world. Follow. Follow me no matter what. Follow me no matter where it leads. Follow me. Follow me. And just like with John, Jesus sees you. He sees you right where you're at. He sees you in your spot. He sees you with what you're carrying. He sees you with the good and the bad. And just like with John, he calls. That invitation to be his disciple is right there for you as well. Knowing our limits, knowing the ups and downs that we're going to have, knowing all of those things, Jesus does any call. I love this quote from Brennan Manning, he's an author. But it seems to kind of speak right to where we're at in this moment. And notice what he says. 
For those who feel their lives are a grave disappointment to God, we could just pause right there. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I'm certain with this many people in here, there are folks that are in here today, and that's how you'd feel. For those who feel their lives are a grave disappointment to God, it requires enormous trust and reckless raging confidence to accept that the love of Jesus Christ knows no shadow of alteration or change. He's for you. He's for you. When Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, he assumed we would grow weary, discouraged and disheartened along the way. And these words are a touching testimony to a genuine humanness of Jesus. He had no romantic notion of the cost of discipleship. He knew that following him was unsentimental as duty and as demanding as love. You see, Jesus, Jesus calls disciples and he makes disciples. It's not you and your goodness that does this. It wasn't that John had something special in his DNA. He had enough midichlorians to make it something good. Like it's that Jesus calls and Jesus makes. He knows what you're carrying. He sees you where you're at. He's inviting you to follow him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. Thank you that though we feel isolated, we feel alone, we may feel scared. We may feel full of hope, but maybe not in the right things. We have all sorts of feelings in us today, and we thank you that you see us, that you know us, that you meet us, not in our ability to clean ourselves up, but simply our ability to open our hands to you. So we are sinners far more than we think we are. We are broken far more than we like to admit. And we are in far more need of you than we tend to admit. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for calling us. And God, I pray for my friends in here today that they would respond. Drop whatever they're holding and follow after you. Pray these things. In your precious name.